What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here for a very special live Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. I am your host, Joe Orico, and this is a Sports Ethos presentation. You guys can hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. You'll also be checking out Ethos Fantasy BB. We have a ton of new articles up there, new podcasts coming out every single day. It's a lot of fun. Our draft guide is mostly live, and all these articles are, are available for you in that feed. So please do go check out Ethos Fantasy BB. The writers have been working incredibly hard, so go and take a look at all of their work. But today we are going to leave California. We've done a lot of California-based team previews over the last week. Oakland, we did the Dodgers, we did the Giants. Today we are moving to Detroit. We have a very special guest joining the show, rejoining the show, actually. Paul Spore of Fangraphs. How are you doing today, Paul? Joe, I'm very well. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, we were talking before we got going here. Very busy time of year, doing rankings, editing the articles, doing podcasts. But it's a good busy. It's a fun busy. It's not like uh, anything that's, you know, I mean, it's a little bit of a hassle sometimes, let's be honest. But it is, if it was, you know, anything other than baseball, I don't think that I would be able to properly do this and invest in it because it's just a passion of mine. And I know it's a passion of yours um, for, for a long time now. Uh, you want to just let the people know before we get going, you're obviously at Fangraphs, but any mm -hmm. other work that you got working on right now or anything yeah. else you want to plug before you get started? Yeah, yeah. Of course, over at Fangraphs, uh, the fantasy side there called Rotographs, but it's fantasy.fangraphs.com on Twitter at Spore, as well as Twitch, twitch.tv slash Spore. Come through. Got a lot of baseball stuff going there, whether it's video games like Out of the Park Baseball and MLB The Show, and also uh, doing drafts over there. I'll have my beat Paul Sporo league. I might do a main event. I'm, I'm going to be live in Vegas with the main event, but I might do a second and stream it there, but I'm always streaming all sorts of different drafts. So uh, yeah, check me out there on Twitch as well. You do great work. Sometimes if I've got nothing going on, I'll go throw on the Twitch channel, watch Appreciate you play it. some out of the park. Uh, MLB the show. It is, it is a great time. And I think we talked about this before when you were on the show before, but it's crazy to me still that I can watch somebody else play video games and get enjoyment out of it. But that's kind of the same thing with, you know, fantasy baseball. We're watching other people play a game and get enjoyment out of it through our own little games and little competitions that we have going on. So <clears throat> it's a lot of fun. Whatever you're doing baseball wise, Paul is worth checking out uh, at Spore on Twitter, of course, and everything he does at Fangraphs. Sleeper in the Bust, one of the go to podcasts. If you're not listening to it, I'm assuming that everybody listens to Sleeper in the Bust, but there Maybe. might be one or two people out there who don't. Uh, you guys should definitely be checking it out. But we are going to get into the Detroit Tigers today. We're going to go pretty in-depth talking about, you know, most of the players in the starting lineup. Probably everybody will touch on and then go through the rotation and the bullpen. And we're going to be going through roster resource here on Fangraphs if you guys want to be following along. We're going to get started right at the top of the order. And that's Austin Meadows and somebody who struggled mightily last season. He actually it was a mental health thing going on and there was physical problems as well. And he didn't play, I believe, after June. Uh, he didn't really play much at all. Are you thinking there's a chance for a bounce back with Austin Meadows here? He's not so far removed from putting up really great seasons in Tampa. Are you willing to buy into him this year? Absolutely. I mean, it's really what situation we have. This with so many guys out there. We talk about it at the high end with guys like DeGrom and Chris Sale. But even in more of a mid-tier, like someone like Meadows, once I see him out there in spring kind of doing his thing, and if he looks like the Austin Meadows that we're used to, I'm definitely willing to buy back in, you know, the Comerica changes definitely benefit lefties more than righties. So he can get some advantage there. Um, last year's kind of a throwaway. It really is. I'm not judging too much off of that. The one thing I would say is I still think some people hold on to the 2019 when he had 33 homers and 12 steals. You can hang on to the power piece. I, I could see the power returning all the way. Don't really see him as a double digit steals kind of guy. Uh, I really see more of like a, 
small handful, like a sub five kind of deal. But I think upper 20s homers again, and then we'll kind of see where the batting average goes. That's going to kind of depend on, on how good he's hitting. But that 2019 rabbit ball season, he took full advantage of it. I would really uh, key in more on 2021, 27 homers, 106 ribbies. That might be tougher on the Tigers, but a 234 average. That's what you're looking for out of Austin Meadows. And that's perfectly useful. And if you're looking as like an uh, outfielder four, maybe five, there, there's nothing wrong with that. So yeah, if he looks good in spring, I'm going to jump back on the Meadows train. Yeah, I like him. I like the price, which is going close to pick 300, depending on your draft. There is quite a bit of a range. Actually, I need to reset my filters here on on the NFBC. He's going 274 on these most recent drafts. I'm looking at just the most eight recent drafts because I'm talking with people in the industry. You really need to shorten the filters when you're looking at this time of draft season. I've been looking back the last couple of weeks, but you really need to narrow it down to look at what people are doing today because things are changing so much. 274 Mm -hmm. is where he is going. Minimum of 249, max of 303. I like it a lot. Even if he does get, you know, doesn't reach those same heights as 2019 or even 2021, he can give you 25 homers probably, maybe 150, 160 runs in RBIs. And, you know, like you said, the steals aren't going to be crazy. But can he give you five, six, like the projections are calling for? I think that that's pretty reasonable to expect. So I'm in on Austin Meadows. I ranked him as a top 50 outfielder. I do think that he can come back this season and give you good value. It might not be what we were expecting based on those early couple of seasons, but still very solid value. I think you can get out of Austin Meadows this season. Now, Javier Baez projected to bat second in this order. He's kind of hard to nail down first year with a new contract, new team. Uh, a lot of players do tend to struggle in those situations. He had a bad year. Are you willing to buy into Javi Baez in 2023? I mean, I could, but I'm really not. I'm really not seeking him out. I, I was never a big fan of this move, and it's obviously only year one of the move. But one of my biggest issues with him kind of showed his face big time last year, which is, of course, his plate approach. And it, it's just not a very good one. Righties ate him alive, righty sliders. I mean, he they could be in the left-handed batter's box, and he's still swinging at it. He did close strong, though. And again, I'll mention the park changes because, again, while they do favor lefties, at his best, Javier Baez was a great opposite field power guy in those breakout years with the Cubs. And so he could add a few more homers. And if you're really talking, you know, he went 17-9 and nine last year. If you're talking a handful more homers plus a handful more steals, then all of a sudden you're in the mid-20s and, and the low single digits there. And there is some value there, even if he's hitting another 238, which he hit, uh, let alone if he can spike back up and kind of get in, say, the 250s. Then all of a sudden you got yourself a value. I'm not going to throw Javier Baez out completely. Uh, Justin and I actually did get him in our auto new draft, 5 by 5 league there. And so it was fine. It was, it was a really cheap deal there that we just decided to say, hey, we'll get the bounce back. I think the price is fair enough that if you are a Baez believer – you're not getting taxed overly to get back in on him, but he's not someone I'm seeking out, even though he is on my favorite team. He's probably at the end of the acceptable shortstop starting shortstop list. And you might even say you wouldn't be comfortable with him as a starter, maybe more as like a middle infielder type. But I do think that we can see him get back over 20 homers. You know, the narrative of first year in a new team. I do think that that is a legitimate thing. It doesn't happen with everybody. I mean, just talking with Matty Wood yesterday about, you know, Freddie Freeman, there was no first year in a new team kind of thing for him he was fantastic Mm -hmm. but most players you know francisco lindor comes to mind Corey seager um they're not as beltran ages ago you know you can look back through and it's not again it's never that it's always going to happen it is something where it happens enough though that if you want to avoid that risk or at least lower those guys on the first year which the problem is the market usually pushes them up 
right? Like it, it has the opposite effect. Like uh, someone like Carlos Rodon this year, love him. I think he's great, but I'm a little bit nervous in, in New York. I don't know how he's going to adjust. And so that's what it comes down to. Justin and I cited a lot on the pod, the smart fantasy system by Glenn Colton and Rick Wolf. It's a big part of their system. And so it is just something to kind of, have an idea about it doesn't mean you have to universally avoid everyone in the big year first year of a huge deal uh because you never know how guys are going to react but it's it's that uncertainty paired with usually a price jump that makes them maybe worth taking a second second look at and being more more cautious with yeah absolutely i think that you know if he did finish as a top 10 shortstop i don't think people would be shocked by it i think it's still within his range of outcomes i mm -hmm. just think people are kind of soured on him in general but if you, he's somebody that you're still into pick 161 it's really not a steep price i think that i probably wouldn't be so comfortable if you're like let's say you're in one league only which most people are probably in a couple of leagues um but if you're in one league i wouldn't necessarily want him as my starter but he's probably you know wouldn't kill you in that range as well it's kind of tricky. Maybe he bounces back fully to what we used to see from him. I think we'll see a bounce back in some way, one way or another. Um, I think 20 homers, 10 steals, you know, 240, 250 batting average. He could probably give you that. Maybe, that the, counting stats, maybe the counting stats won't be great, but I think I think he's worth investing in with the hope that maybe he will bounce back, especially because of the price. Um, but Riley Green is projected to bat third in this lineup. I really don't know what to make of him. The projections, the public projections on Fangraphs are not the greatest. Uh, they're, all, they're all right. They're generally calling for like 13 and 6 if you look at ATC, uh, 15 and 6, 13 and 7. They're kind of underwhelming compared to what we were expecting from Riley Green and for where he's going in drafts right now. What's your outlook on him? How did the dimension changes impact him? Uh, what are your thoughts overall for Riley Green this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they specifically made them for him, but he probably played a role in in making things better for lefties. He's going around pick 200 for Riley Green, which is certainly not overpriced, but I was talking with him on the day that we're recording this, which is uh, February 21st, with Jeff Erickson and Nick Whalen on the Rotowire show, and I just I came away feeling a little bit cold on Riley Green because I'm just not sure where the fantasy juice comes from. First off, you look at the runs and ribbies, and it's a common refrain for us. That's a bad team, so they're not going to be great. Um, you know, a couple guys might have a high runs total, like uh, Meadows and maybe Green himself. A couple guys might have a high RBI total, maybe like Baez and maybe Scope if he pops off. You know, he's always kind of uh, up and down, and we'll get to him in a moment. But by and large, this doesn't look like it's going to be a good offense, so there's no reason to project good runs and ribbies totals. So you take that off the table. Well, he's not a big-time power guy. So you don't see that coming out of Riley Green. Uh, maybe 20 homers if things really go well and he plays like 150 games. And there's no real speed here. There's not a huge speed component. And even with even if he takes advantage of the stealing rules, uh, the three rules that kind of uh, will influence base stealing, the pitch clock, the bigger steal, the bigger bases, and the throwovers, what are we talking? 10 then at the most for him? I think that I think that'd be high for Riley Green. So then you're looking at the batting average, and I got to be honest, you know, again, I mentioned this specific thing on with uh, Jeff and, and Nick. I kept hearing a lot of uh, Michael Brantley comps when he was first coming up, and I don't know that I really see that, and I'm not really sure where it came from because he strikes out way too much to be a Michael Brantley comp and to have that batting average juice. Now, he had good batting averages in the minors, but I think that was part of taking advantage of the minor leagues as opposed to something that he's definitely going to hold in the majors. Now, he doesn't have a ton of swing and miss in this game, so he can lower the 29% strikeout rate that we saw last year. But I just don't see the fantasy juice for green. And pick 200, while it isn't expensive, also isn't uh, you know a place where you should be punting guys or taking too big of risks. 
I just don't really see it with Green. I'm probably not going to have much of him this year. Yeah, I had him outside my top 50 outfielders, which I'm going to be on the site in the next couple of days. I want to put him in at the back end. I just can't do it. And the projections certainly don't help. I'm not, you know, so beholden to projections where I, you know, write the numbers down in pen. This is what he's going to do. But in general, you kind of kind of look for a bit higher. And I know the upside is there. He's still a you know, pretty highly touted prospect. He's only, is he 22 yet even? Has he turned 22? He just turned 22. So there's yeah. still room to grow. I just don't know if it's this season that I necessarily want to be investing uh, close to a top 200 pick in him. So I'm just kind of not scratching him off my board necessarily, but he's not somebody that is a target of mine by any means. He'd have to fall a little bit and then maybe I'd take a chance. But as of right now, I'm not so big on him and I see some people kind of are hoping for for big things. I just I just can't really get behind it at this point. Um, that's the top third of the order. It goes to Jonathan Scope here, projected to go to Jonathan Scope as the number four hitter. Now, he's just a year removed from having a very good fantasy season in 2021. He was a big asset for a lot of teams, 22 homers. He had 170 runs in RBIs, good batting average. This past season, definitely took a step back. Not somebody that I'm terribly interested in, Paul. Do you have any interest in Jonathan Scope this year? You know, kind kind of on the rebuy. Like, I, I think he's fine. And we're kind of saying this a lot, a lot about uh, about a lot of the guys pick 432 right uh, i'm looking at the last month of draft champions i know you had a more narrow focus but i got 56 drafts there he's not expensive right even if even if he's moving up what are you talking about like uh late 300s so if you want to take a shot that scope gets hot again we know that he can be dialed in for a month six weeks at a time and be one of the best hitters in the game uh with that power but that's really all you're getting right is, is some is some solid power that qualifies at second base at his best. 278 average in 2021 was pretty nice too. I, I just don't see a whole lot else. Could he get back to 2021? Yeah, it's possible. Do I want to bet on it all that much? Not really. Probably get like a share of him because I'm a multi-leaguer, but I understand if you're not that enamored of him, just don't completely forget him because I do think, you know, last year was clearly his worst year, but has he done at age 31? I definitely don't think so. So even if he doesn't rebound all the way to 2021, there's almost no world where scope isn't at least better. So I'm willing to bet on a, on a buyback there, low 20s homers, modest runs ribbies, and say a 260 average, which is fine. Yeah, I'm totally there with you. Now, he did steal five bases last year. I think they all came in the span of like a week or so from what I remember, and everybody was throwing bids down, expecting him to steal more bases. And that's no. not something that he's going to contribute, and he might get one or two for you, maybe two, three, uh, steamer as the high man on the projection there at four but that's not something you'd be drafting him for you're hoping that he can get back to that 20 plus home run output now runs and rbis probably not going to be at 84 and 85 but mm -hmm. 65 70 kind of range with an O right batting average he's a 255 career hitter so it's not like he's a negative in that department especially the league batting average i think was like a buck 85 last time i checked <laughs> so he's he's not terrible in that regard as well so there is some hope in your deeper leagues. Like he's not a shallow league guy if you're playing a you know 12-team Yahoo league. He's not somebody I'd be targeting. But in your deeper draft champions at pick 450, he should have decent playing time. He's projected for 130-some-odd games. I don't mind him at the price. He's not somebody that is a target by any means, but not, not terrible. And I think, honestly, the more I look at the price, the more I do tend to like it. But let's keep going with Kerry Carpenter. What are your thoughts on Kerry Carpenter for this upcoming season? I got to be honest, I don't know a ton about the background for Kerry Carpenter. He had 31 games in the bigs last year. He wasn't too bad. Six home runs in that time frame. Do you think he can expand on those home run totals? Give you 15, I 20? 
I do. I think maybe even more. Um, this was a guy who had a big breakout year. Now, a lot of it was at double A as a 24-year-old. And age to level really matters. So he was picking on uh, guys that he was just simply better than and probably still shouldn't have been there that long. But he did hit 22 homers in 63 games, which is wonderful. Uh, he was still striking out a lot, though, 28% with just a 6% walk rate. So pretty bad plate skills. Uh, and a 31% homer to fly ball rate was certainly helping him. However, I was very encouraged by the fact that he went and spent a month at AAA, hit another eight homers with a one-to-one -one strikeout to walk rate at 12% each with an 8% swinging strike rate. So the swing strike rate came way down. He tore up AAA, came up to the majors, and like you said, held his own again. So I'm looking at Kerry Carpenter, and I'm thinking the power can be there. I'm still not going to get much higher than, say, like a 240 average with my projection. But I think that the lefty can hit 22 to 25 homers. I really do. So he could be kind of a left-handed scope this year. And he goes even cheaper, if I recall correctly. I could take a look at it right here. Actually, goes right by him. Uh, he's at 390, and the next Tiger is scope. So they're, they're both in that 390 to 420 range, 430 range, excuse me. And so I like both of them there. Depends if you want an outfielder or a second baseman. But I see Kerry Carpenter and Jonathan Scope pretty similarly, except that, of course, Scope has the history in the majors, whereas Carpenter's kind of new to the game. But he's 25 years old. I think it's time to give him some time, uh, playing time and see where he's at. I think the Tigers will do that this year. I agree. I think they probably will. And, you know, you mentioned the price is 390. If you narrow that filter down a little bit, it's 370 uh, over the last eight drafts. So maybe he does go up a little bit. And the minimum pick is 274. So, do you see him being a helium guy? With some spring homers or believe it or not, you know, if the right person hypes them up, you know, like a Phil Dussault or a Vlad Settler, or somebody like that, that really can move the market with, with, with their um, stamp of approval, something like that. Or if Jeff Zimmerman has a good tidbit on him and mining the news and, and then, you know, with his write-up part says, yeah, I believe in this guy. That, or like I said, six or seven uh, spring training homers, then I think Kerry Carpenter will move up. But I still think he's going to be affordable no matter what. I doubt he would get to a cost prohibitive standpoint. So sign me up for Kerry Carpenter um, on a on a kind of a sleeper sort of deal. Yeah, I think he'll probably not enter the top 300, depending, of course, on what you said. It'd be surprising, right? Yeah, at 370 like it, right now. Yeah. It, it, it would take it would take a lot. I, I just don't think it's going to be there to get Kerry Carpenter that high. His min is 274, but that that's one person, right? Yeah. That could be Kerry Carpenter himself drafting him at 274. No, I don't know. But like, so the min says, okay, maybe there is a world where he can get that high. But I think really you're talking mid 300s, maybe early 300s if Kerry Carpenter gets a ton of spring helium, which I'm not sure is going to happen because Tigers are a pretty much forgotten team when it comes to fantasy right now, which I totally understand. Yeah, I'm just trying to see. He's just like barely a top 100 outfielder right now, 95th. So I, I agree with you there. There is a lot of value to be had, assuming he doesn't move up too much, and he probably shouldn't. So he might be a, a quote-unquote sleeper for this upcoming season, depending on where you're playing, who you're listening to. Um, but keeping it going with Eric Haas. And I tend to like Eric Haas, I think, more than the average person. 2021 was such a great season for him. Uh, this past season, not quite as good. He did boost the batting average a little bit, but the power did regress. Where are you at on Eric Haas right now? I, I missed on him last year. I got to be honest. Uh, I, I was I was pretty firmly out, really not thinking that necessarily that the playing time would be there, that he could get that supplemental playing time in the outfield. But it ended up being there. Now, part of it was that he ended up playing a bit more catcher than I thought, too. But I was like, if he doesn't get those supplemental ABs in the outfield, 
then he's not going to have enough time behind the dish because I kind of believed in, in Tucker Barnhart. Well, that, that was my my stupid fault there as he only played 94 games. And so Haas ends up putting 110 games on the board, three, 351 plate appearances, and did put did quite well. I was really worried that he could hit like 200 or under 200 as well. That was another thing that I missed on him. And he ends up in 254, jumping up, like you said, from the 2021 breakout when he hit 231. So I was just a flat miss on Haas. I am going to adjust a bit and not be as down on him. That said, still talking about a pretty bad plate profile with a 28% K rate, 7% walk rate. And that does put a lot of onus on his Babbitt which was up to 316 last year. And if Haas's Babbitt falls down, I do still see a lot of batting average risk. That said, as a C2 who doesn't go particularly expensively, if you play in a two-catcher league, I get it if you want to get in. I'm not even fully out this year. Um, he's inside pick 300, 291. Well, what time frame are you using, by the way? I, I want to use the same one as you instead of quoting something different from you. I'm just looking at February 10th to February 10th. Okay, now, yeah. eight, Like I said, uh, I was doing the last month, but I'll do – I'll do that same time frame. So he's at 283 there for Eric Haas. That's okay. I'm probably still looking for guys, other guys around him. But again, I will take my L on him last year. I'd probably rather a buyback on Yasmani Grandal right before him or maybe a Nick Fortes scoop uh, about 50 picks after him. I don't know. Uh, and honestly, I don't mind the Gary Sanchez gamble, which is a, over 100 picks later than him. I know he doesn't have a team yet, but if he lands somewhere nice, I could see Gary Sanchez getting a decent bit of playing time. And so I'd probably just do that instead. But again, I'll reiterate, fat Al on Haas last year. Couldn't, didn't like him at all. Thought he was going to be a total bust, and I was dead wrong. It happens, of course. I'm doing rankings for the first time this year, so I am can't <clears throat> can't wait to look back at the end of the year and see who I missed on. I'm with you on Grandal. I have him as a top 15 catcher, um, a little bit ahead of where I have Haas and Fortes and those guys. It is tricky, though, with Gary Sanchez, as a side note, is another one. Like, I moved him down a few spots in my rankings just because of the uncertainty. But if he does sign, uh, you know, there's no reason why he couldn't bounce up. And beat. I've seen Boston and, and Colorado rumors, both of which are appealing, of course. But we just don't know yet. He could go somewhere and be a backup. He's not a particularly good catcher. I get it. But he's but Sanchez is so cheap that in the leagues where I am doing two catchers or in the draft champions where you need like four, I've been open to getting some Gary Sanchez shares and just saying, hey, let's see what happens. We know he can hit for some power. He can't really hit my weight. And for those that don't know, I'm a stick figure. So uh, that could be a challenge for Gary Sanchez, but I will take that shot, especially when he's 100 picks cheaper than Haas. Yeah, I'm talking here with the Chris uh, Tristan McKenzie lookalike. I think that's right. Forget if it was you or somebody else who said that on a podcast. I was driving. It was me because we are the we are dead match. He's six five. I think he's listed six five one seventy, and that's literally what I am. That's hilarious. Obviously, um, <laughs> a little bit different. But... We look slightly different. Let's just not <laughs> be crazy about it. He's black. I'm white. I mean, we don't have to beat around the bush there. But when we say the the comp, we're talking about the body comp specifically. Yeah, absolutely. And Tristan McKenzie, uh, very interesting player to go into. Love him. Um, but we'll we'll save that for when we when we go into uh, when we go into Cleveland. But let's keep going with Nick Maton. Matton Maton. I'm actually not Ma sure. Maton. Maton. That's what Maton. Of course. Uh, I haven't heard. I, I only know that because of his brother. Because Phil, I, I haven't. I haven't really watched I, Nick pitch or Nick play either. But his brother Phil Maton. That's how. That's how I. Or, uh, yeah, Maton. M a y t a h n is the pronunciation guide. Kind of tricky. I guess I haven't heard uh, broadcasts in a little while. I haven't heard, you know, home team announcers pronouncing these names. And, you know, sometimes they butcher it regardless. But mm -hmm. what, what what are your thoughts here on him going into the season? 
not the greatest, uh, you know, yeah. cup of coffee last season, 35 games with Philadelphia. He played 52 games in 2021, but we've seen high K rates with not a bad walk rate, but there's not really so much that I'm interested in. Are you seeing something different with uh, Nick Maton? Not necessarily. You know, utility guy like that trade. We'll get into another piece in that trade here shortly. Um, and there, there was some punch last year, specifically with the 264 ISO. I don't know how much to put into that, though. It's a small sample where he blasted five homers and 85 plate appearances. I don't want to say that can happen for anybody because it probably would never, ever happen for D Gordon, no matter how many 85 plate appearance samples you gave him. But you get my point. A, a, a guy of any sort of capability can pretty much go off for a small sample. And this is why we hammer small sample volatility because you don't want to extrapolate this at all. Um, I would really look at his minor leagues and what he's done. He's a big swing and miss guy. Like you said, Maton does take his fair share of walks so he can get on base at a decent clip. But he's going to be down the bottom of the order. He's going to be in a platoon role. At least he'll be on the strong side. I'm not seeing a whole lot here. A little bit of pop, weak average, and then even worse runs and ribbies because he's at the bottom of a bad order. Yeah. I see him as like a DC dart throw at the end. He's yes. not going until, you know, after pick 600. He's projected for more than 100 games depending on where you look. But the lowest projection is 97. So he'll be out there enough, that I think, that you can justify a post-600 pick and a DC slot in some playing time later on i believe he's just second base eligible right now um or no he's outfield eligible actually excuse me but last year he played second base left field right field third short maybe he picks up a second position in there he'll, he'll bounce around for the tigers i really do think nick mayton is is brought in to be kind of a super util he'll probably play a decent bit and third base could be his home but that doesn't mean that he won't play some second some outfield I don't even know. He seems like the kind of guy who can also play some first if they need him there. So we'll see. I, I think he'll bounce around a bit, but third base, he'll pick up that eligibility pretty quickly uh, because that is where he's at least slated to start on the strong side. Yeah, I think he is, but there's really not much interest in a shallower league. And I try yeah. to focus. I try and mix it up a little bit. The offseason is so NFBC centric because that's, you know, what the ADP is, that's where you can draft in the offseason for the most part. I'm going to start trying to transition a little bit more into 12-team content, Yahoo, and home league stuff. He's not a home league target by any means, but if you are in a DC and a deeper league, uh, then I, I could see him being a target past pick 600. But nobody to, to get too excited about anyway. But the next guy up might be somebody to get excited about, depending on who you are and your outlook on him. And that's Spencer Torkelson. Now, he was about as disappointing as you could possibly be uh, last mm -hmm. season. I think there's also a part of it that, you know, he's juxtaposed with the rest of that rookie class, which was so good. Um, you know, he had eight home runs. He had a bad batting average. He didn't steal any bases. Where are you at on Spencer Torkelson? Are we are we thinking this is the year? Or do you think we need another year or two before he is really, truly a fantasy asset? I'm certainly in. I don't know for sure if, if uh, Spencer Torkelson is going to pan out this year, but I'm going to take the shot and see because he's priced to buy now after the disappointing season. I understand why people are are – you know, uh, not so gung-ho with Spencer Torkelson anymore. But everything I saw out of him still said he was a big leaguer. I understand the power wasn't there, but watching him on the day-to-day, -day, he didn't strike me as somebody who was wildly overmatched. The production wasn't there. He went down to the minors. He didn't exactly kill it down there either, but he did also look a little bit better in the box when he got back. I mean, we're talking minuscule type changes here where you're like, okay, he's taking a few better plate appearances here. Cause I do think the frustration was starting to build for the first few months though. He was taking it in stride, even though things weren't working. Then you started to see a few more bat slams, a few more helmet slams when things really weren't working, go down, clear your head, come back, did. Okay. 
I'm I'm just not out on this guy. It's too small of a sample. It's four what four something plate appearances last year, uh, four oh four, so just over four hundred. I'm not quit. I'm not quitting anybody uh, on a sample that small, let alone a number one overall pick. Sure, part of it is that he's a, a key component of my favorite team's potential rebirth, but I just didn't see enough to say that Torkelson can't handle it. I really think he can pop twenty plus homers this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if he really goes off. I'm going to have multiple shares because I'm going to take the discount. I, I paid the full price last year. Give me the discount this year around pick 293. I don't even remember last year. What was where was he going in drafts last season? He was top probably late 150? 100s, oh, um, maybe as high as that as 150. But it it wasn't egregious. But it certainly wasn't. It wasn't cheap. Wasn't free. Yeah. You know, I, I, people like to throw around the whole free a little bit too often. But it definitely wasn't free. And, uh, you know, I was bought in. I got some shares of him. And obviously it did not pan out at all for um, Spencer Torkelson. I think it'll be better this year because, again, how could it be worse? Yeah, it's true. I mean, you look at the walk rates and the strikeout rates in the minor leagues, very attractive. Even in the major leagues, almost a 10% walk rate. And the K rate wasn't ridiculous at 24%. A lot of the projections have him for upper teens, homers with a couple of them looking at over 20. So there could be could be a breakout there potentially you think there's any chance of like 30 home runs for him or you think it's yeah. like mid 20s is the well, No, I, I I certainly see like there, there's a world where the full breakout comes. I mean, he was he was great in his minor league uh triple level season of 2021, high A, double A, triple A, and he hit what was that uh 30 homers on the button in that season. There's definitely a world where he takes a couple steps forward here and really pops up. That's not the projection. That's not the expectation, but it's certainly in the cards. I see more of a stair-step progression for him, maybe like a 115, 120 WRC plus for Torkelson with a mid-20s home run output and a 240 average, and then maybe the big year in 2024. But yeah, it's in the range of outcomes to really pop off this year, even though you can't really find it in the stats. If you believe in pedigree, and I'm I'm a pedigree guy, I I believe in, in, you know, prospect pedigree doesn't necessarily mean that you are blessed to be a a number uh, a top player if you're a high draft pick but i believe that the league gets more things right than wrong these days and so i'm going to give somebody more than 400 plate appearances before i write them off as a as a super high draft pick that makes perfect sense i mean the way that technology has advanced and different statistics we generally know even if we don't know 100 percent of the time who a guy is and it's kind of tricky because you guys get drafted at 19 20 years old sometimes even yeah. younger Sometimes we miss. Sometimes the industry misses. The prospect scouting isn't always perfect. But with somebody like Torkelson, I completely agree. 400 at bat or 400 plate appearances uh, is definitely not enough to fully write him off. And the price, like you said, almost pick 300 right now. If he does pop off, you know he's right in that range where you can kind of take him with the last pick of your 12 team draft. If he doesn't pop off, you drop him. You kind of there's yeah. tons of replacement value. But if he does pop off, you might end up with you know. Maybe not a top 100 player, but it like it is within the range of outcomes for him to be a top 100 player, I think. And even if it doesn't happen this season, uh, it, it should be coming at the latest, I would hope, by 2024 for Torque. He's still very young. He's 23 years old. Uh, still a lot of room to grow, just like Riley Green. These guys didn't have the greatest debuts, and I think we you know juxtaposed them with Julio and Bobby Witt, and those guys yeah. come up, and they are just amazing. And we think, oh, these guys are shit. That's not, that's not the case. Uh, they just need a little bit more time in the oven, probably, until they're fully risen. But let's talk about the number nine hitter in this order, the projected number nine hitter, and that's Akil Badu. And, you know, I want to be in. I wanted to be in this season or this last season, I guess, at this point. Um, not a great year for him. Still, we know that there is speed. There's a bit of power there as well. Where are you right now in terms of your Akil Badu outlook for 2023? Well, let's just acknowledge that he was probably my biggest miss last year. 
uh, I was very in on Akio Badu, taking him in like 10th round of 15 team leagues. So you're talking top 150, top 160 ish. And uh, it didn't work, obviously. And so I still don't really understand why they just quit him just like flat out of nowhere that he's batting ninth and, and getting platooned off rip after such a strong 2021. I really, really loved his rookie year, the changes he made in season, the development, the fact that he was leading off. Then he has a big spring, which, you know, we don't put too much in the spring, but there are certain factors in spring that you care about power strikeouts, walks. These factors look good. He was penciling in at the top of the order. He got like one shot there, went over four. And then like, well, this guy sucks. And like it almost became a self-fulfilling prophecy because then they're barely playing him. He gets sent out and it was an unbelievable dud of a season. There's no two ways around it. Now he did go down to AAA and he crushed for the month that he was down there. And I was really impressed with the uh, 20% K rate, 15% walk rate, 142 WRC plus three homers, seven steals in 30 games. So that's really, really nice. Uh, I still believe going to be 24 this year. You know, he's a rule five guy. So he's really young still learning on the job. Prospect growth isn't linear. You know, I, I talk about that all the time. It's not my phrase, but I, I, I learned it and fully kind of believe in that. And so you have to be careful with guys and you can't overreact one way to, I, to, to the positives or the negatives. And so I'm definitely not going to quit this guy. I really believe in the power speed combo of Torkelson. I hope they commit to him this year, or excuse me, of Torkelson, of Badu. And I hope they commit to him this year and I'm buying back in because he's completely priced to buy now. I mean, he's basically off the board uh, in 12 team leagues for sure. 15 team leagues, he's picked 466. So what am I paying there? Nothing. I'm definitely back in on my boy, Akil Badu. I'm almost always willing to buy in after a down year, especially if the price is right. And you were saying he's top 150 pick last year. You know, 300 pick difference. I'm willing to buy in. If you look at what he did in 2021, 13 homers, 18 steals. You know, decent batting average at 260. I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to pay the price, and I don't have any shares just yet. But I I'm willing to, especially at that price. Maybe he doesn't stick as the nine hole hitter. Maybe they do bounce him around. Maybe he does end up at the top of the order. I mean, there's not a hell of a lot of speed on this team. Uh, I could see him, you know, there's only two guys projected for double-digit steals, him and Javi Baez, if you're looking at ATC. I wouldn't be shocked if he does end up hitting closer to the top of the order. Not bad, uh, you know, actually pretty decent walk rates at times in the minor leagues. And even in the majors last year, it was over 10%. Maybe the K rate a little bit too high. But if he does bounce up to the top of the order, I wouldn't be shocked by it. You'd see the runs bounce up. Uh, You know, maybe the power comes back a little bit. Maybe it's not going to be 13, but close to double-digit homers with 15 to 20 steals is definitely definitely possible for him. So at the price, there's no reason to not want to buy back in on Badu as much as he might have hurt you last year. And there is that scorned lover uh, narrative, which you might have even coined that one. I'm not sure. It's been bouncing around in my head. But there are certain players. I've definitely used it. I don't know if I coined it, but like... I run the other way, you know. Um, there's some guys in the industry who have who have talked about this too, where they say, I go the other way and they owe me now. Like when 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 I get burnt, I need something back from you. So I'm gonna draft you because you you now owe me. So you can take it both ways. You can quit them completely and push them off to the side, or you can redraft at the discount, and say, now give me something and I'll take my uh, my value, if you will. But I really do think by do, I mean, 132 was his main event ADP last year. And I was a big part of it. Like I said, I, I took him very high. I wanted to get him, get your guys. I loved him. Favorite team, you know, all, everything added up. And I thought everything was going to be there. Disaster season. 
think there's a bounce back this year, like a 105 to 115 type WRC plus double double double, which is double digit homers and steals, and uh, you know decent batting average. I'm I'm thinking like 240, 250 somewhere like that, and uh, I think we'll have a good season. I'm, I'm back in on Badu for sure. I'm there with you. I'm really hoping that he does, especially on the price. I'm going to have some shares. Uh, we'll see where I end up getting shares. TGFBI actually just leagues announced, so mm-hmm. maybe we'll get him in TGFBI. We'll see what happens. But in terms of the rest of the bats on this team, we've gone through the starting lineup, but anybody who's on the bench or the minor leagues who might be able to make some noise, I think we're probably past the, the expiration date on Miguel Cabrera, but yeah. is there anybody else who might be able to be fantasy relevant uh, for this team who's not necessarily uh you know at the top of the order or somebody that you might think of off the top of your head i, I will say on miggy you know another guy who at his best is is an opposite field home run guy and so maybe the park changes do give him a few extra homers but you're talking like al only filling at this point uh during his swan song but matt veerling the other part of that trade the other big part of that gregory soto trade with nick Maiton, donnie sands uh backup catcher who also came in that deal but matt veerling Capable outfielder. Now, he's not gonna, probably going to be on some short side stuff right now. It could actually be platooning with Badu, but we'll see how all that plays out. And, of course, Meadows needs to stay healthy, and we'll see where that where that's at with him. But if not, then I do think Veerling would be a big beneficiary there and get a lot more playing time. A little bit of pop, a little bit of speed. Um, I think if the playing time is there, he's somebody that I'd want to pick up. Say, say something happens to one of the outfielders uh, for the Tigers. They're going to be out for an extended period. Veerling almost certainly going to be the guy that would absorb that time. I see him being like a 15 team type pickup and, and deeper, of course. And so I don't think he's special or anything like that as a hitter, but he can be like a league average type hitter, pop speed and a decent batting average. That's what you're looking at out of Matt Veerling. Probably the only guy on that bench between Jake Rogers, a backup catcher, Miguel Cabrera, Matt Veerling and Tyler Nevin. Veerling is the only one I would give any consideration to in a, um, in a draft champions right now. Yeah, I, I would agree. His price is just inside of 500, 499. And he's already projected for 102 games. If you look at the bad X and the bat, if there is an injury, maybe we see him push 120, 130 games. Again, not a shallow league target like a lot of these later guys in the lineup are uh, for Detroit. They're more deeper league guys. But if you are in a deeper league, if you're looking for you know the potential for plate appearances in a draft champions, you might get 400 plus plate appearances out of him. From a very reasonable cost here at pick 500. Not somebody who will be a helium. We mentioned helium guys earlier. He shouldn't be. He's not going to be somebody that does. I mean, unless he starts mashing in spring and ends up with a starting job, I doubt it. But he's definitely somebody to to take a look at if you're a little bit later in your draft, hoping to fill in some playing time, uh, which is all you're really trying to do at this point of a DC, trying to find, you know, speculate for playing time down the line. So he's definitely somebody who could uh, come up, not come up, he's already up, but, you know, emerge a little bit this season in the starting lineup, assuming that there is some kind of injury. Um, but let's keep it going and talk about some of these starting pitchers. It's not the greatest situation for sure. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez, if he is if he is your ace, then there's probably not the rosiest outlook for the season. But where where do you stand on Eduardo Rodriguez right now? I love Erod. Um, you know, I thought it was a good pickup last year. Things didn't go well. There was some off the field stuff that kind of took him away from the team for a while. So you wish him the best dealing with that. You know, it's something that not our business. What it was, team game time off. Hopefully everything went went well and he got back. Um, I think there's still a good pitcher here. He really wasn't that bad when he did pitch 405 ERA, 133 whip. That's kind of in line with a lot of what he's done. I thought he could improve because he's going to a better park. 
And I was hoping that maybe, you know, keep that ERA in maybe like the more mid threes area, 360, 370 type range. I certainly think that's in the cards for, for Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, the 8% swinging strike rate was really disappointing because he's, he's a career 11% guy. So to see that dip was a problem, but I'm willing to give him a bit of an injury, uh, injury and off the field washout for last year and kind of assess him similar to what I saw coming into last year, which is as the Boston guy. Give me something in the upper threes with his ERA. The whip will be kind of the deciding factor to how good he is, whether he's like 10 team viable or more of just a deeper league, because he's always been a bit higher thanks to his walk rate and even some elevated hits. What I'm hoping the park will do is knock down some of those hits for him and kind of get him back maybe under eight for the first time in his career, which would help him have like a mid 120s type of whip. So I think Erod price to buy again, all these Tigers, no, no one's expensive. We've already covered the most expensive guys. Nobody's expensive on this team. So if you like any of them, they don't cost you a thing. Pick 340 for Eduardo Rodriguez. I got no problem with that. You're talking about like your sixth, seventh, eighth starter. No, no issues. I just find him a little bit boring. And I think that's why sure. maybe some people look away from him. The K rate went down a lot, but you have to kind of give him a mulligan based on last year. There was personal problems. I believe he was injured at some point for a while as well. Mm -hmm. So not his, you know, not his best last season for sure. I just look at him for the career and he's never been like the greatest fantasy asset. He's definitely more of like a back end guy, like you're saying, SP five or six or so. And where he's priced, that's, you know, about where he is at 340. He's, I just don't find myself ever really drafting him because I just don't really see much upside. You know, there's not many, not much win upside. Uh, with Detroit, the K's no. have always been historically not bad, you know, 25, 26, 27 percent. Hopefully he can rebound that. But that's where he can get back. If yeah. if Erod's going to deliver this year and give you something more, it's going to be the strikeouts coming back. That's what I'm hoping for. And I mean, the projections, they call they're calling for like 23 percent, 22, 23 percent at the bat as low as 19 um, I'm just, I'm personally not there. He's not somebody that's like a target of mine. I could see him bouncing back and giving you, you know, something similar to what we saw in Boston, 2018, 2019 with a high threes ERA, uh, probably not going to win 19 games. I, I guarantee he won't win 19 games, but maybe he is somebody who can have a bit more, bit more value than I'm giving him credit for. I just find him to be not somebody so exciting. I'm trying to draft more for upside at this range. And I don't really see so much of that with him. But there is definitely a world where he can return a positive uh, return on your investment here at pick 340. I'm just, I don't know what it is about him. There's just something in me that I just can't ever draft him. I don't know that I've ever drafted him for fantasy. He's just, I don't know, maybe it's just the strikeouts, or but the strikeouts aren't even that bad. I don't really know what it is, Paul. I'm really not sure. I'm just not a big Erod I, I will say, you know, Erod is kind of boring, so I, I, I totally get it. And a boring guy on a bad team, you know, uh, what are you really looking at? For me, I see some volume, see some strikeout potential to, to return for Erod, and thus can be a nice little or, uh, rotation filler. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, not not something that I'm excited about, but at that point in the draft, you're not really that excited about anybody at pick 350. Uh, there might be the odd one or two players who have some upside, but at that point, uh, you know, if you're looking for, and it depends on your your mindset too. If you are looking for upside versus just a little bit of stability, somebody who has been around a while, it, it's different mindsets, different strategies. But uh, take Erod where he's going and hope for the best. I guess is what I can say here because the yeah. price is is really not too bad. Uh, but moving on in this rotation, Matthew Boyd is projected to be the number two starter. Where are you at right now on Matthew Boyd? Listen, I'm a, I'm a longtime Boyd boy. I'm glad he's back in Detroit. You know, he was always somebody that had those flashes, kind of showed that he could be something pretty good, but always had those homers come back to get him. That was always the big issue. But he got back on the mound last year, 13 innings of uh, relief for, for Seattle. 
I think there's still something here where he can be a decent mid-rotation type guy. Maybe he doesn't get all the way back up to the 185 innings that we saw in 2019 because he has had so few innings over the last three years. But at the same time, he's 32. What are they going to do, baby him? I don't really see that. So I think if he's healthy, there will be a big inning spike. I don't think we have to plan and say, oh, well, if you add up you know, last year's innings and, and 2021s and then 10%, that, no. I don't think we need to do that with a veteran who's been to the mountain before in terms of 32 starts, which is you know, kind of the peak of what you're going to see in a given season if boyd is healthy he's getting a buck 70 a buck 80 and um, it can be decent it can be decent but again you're talking about rotation filler deep in a draft it's a bit like erod situation there and if you didn't like erod i'd be surprised if you like boyd and i totally get it yeah uh, again just kind of there's nobody in this rotation that i'd look at except maybe the exception of one guy uh, that i would really be that interested in for fantasy matthew boyd is kind of a fallback option you know, inning filler, hoping that he can do, you know, maybe a flow four ZRA with decent K numbers. I mean, again, not shooting for the moon here, just more stabilizer at the end of your rotation. But, man, I, I feel for you, Paul. I feel for you looking at this Tigers Thank team, you. man. I mean, we did the A's preview last week, which was probably the dark, our darkest episode. Well, we haven't done the Nationals and the Pirates yet, but, I mean. A's are going to be the worst. Though. I think the A's. Uh, I, think, I think Nats and, and Pirates at least have more to latch on to. Yeah, I mean, we're not that bad with the Tigers, but man, like the front it's office, rough. the front office needs to, to do better. It's I, a new front office, though, so I am excited. It does kind of reset the the meter on things a bit, but I'm I am very pleased with Scott Harris, and I'm excited to see what he does. Really am. Where are you at on the projected number three starter? And that's Michael Lorenzen, who I don't believe he's doing the two way thing. I mean, he, I remember no. he was two players on Yahoo for a while as a pitcher mm-hmm. and as a position player. I think he's just going to be a pitcher at this point. Where What's your outlook on him for this season? I had some hope for him last year, uh, transitioning fully to starter, got off to a decent start, and then it kind of came unraveled. I've keep, I'm keeping my hopes in check this year. Still going to obviously be rooting for him. He's on my favorite team now. But the underwhelming swing and miss capability paired with the continued issues with the walk rate. He's been over double digits each of the last three seasons, two of which were in the bullpen where where stuff's supposed to play up. You're supposed to be better. Um, That kind of leaves me a little bit cold. Again, we're looking at, you know, he put up 424, 128 ERA whip last year. I don't see any reason he can't do that again. But what is that? That's a 15 team. That's a draft champions fill in. That's an AL only guy. And that's about it for Michael Lorenzen. I'm not sure I can go much deeper than that. Um, I'm hoping for more, but I just, it, it's wish casting because I don't really see a path where you could expect much more. Yeah, I'm totally there, lockstep with you. I'm assuming you're going to say something similar for Matt Manning. Again, just somebody who is not that exciting. I'll let, I'll let you, you, feel, you speak there, but same kind of more general, outside with him. But where we're at right now, pans out to be a lot of the blandness that we've seen with the other guys. However, you're talking about a 25-year-old one. These other guys are all in their 30s already. I do think there is a path to more, but he needs to develop. The, uh, the slider needs to come forward. The curveball needs to come forward. One of the two breakers needs to come forward and really start getting more swings and misses. But he did put up a 343-117 last year. But you look at the underlying, and it says, be careful with that 445 Sierra skill interactive ERA, 378 FIP, if you prefer that, um, 18% K rate. A lot of numbers there. Bottom line was he was pretty pedestrian, similar to all the other guys we've talked about thus far. But at least at 25, Matt Manning, as a premium prospect, has a path forward if his stuff develops. It's just a matter of if he can find the extra step with the fastball, with one of the breakers, and really jump. If not, he's going to be pretty pedestrian again. I will take a shot on him, though. Young pitcher that I thought we saw some things from last year, but it was definitely inconsistent. 
and um, I'm not I'm not staking many hopes on him. You're talking 468 in that uh, in the draft champions drafts right now. It's just more filler. Yeah, I'm I'm totally there with you. These guys are not the most exciting. The most exciting name for me in the rotation probably totally is the guy agree. Who into bat. Sorry, totally agree. I'm sorry, I, was, I jumped you there, but I was just gonna say I totally agree with this next one that you're gonna hype up. Spencer Turnbull. I mean, that's my guy. We haven't seen. We didn't see him last year. It was TJ. Yep, I believe it was TJ. But the last time we saw him, last couple of times we saw him on the mound, 2021, 2020, albeit short sample sizes, but sub four ERA in 2020. And then 2021, it was 288, granted 50 innings, but he was pretty damn good. Uh, I'm willing to buy back in this season because the price is pretty damn reasonable at 445. Yeah. You are you're, seem to be agreeing with me here on Spencer Turnbull. Fully in here. He got the mega return from TJ. He had it in June of, of 2021, so he got the extendo time. Hasn't been back on the Major League mound yet, but that's okay. I, obviously, there will probably still be some ups and downs this year because he is getting his first action back from TJ, but hopefully he works out some of those kinks in spring, maybe in the first year of the month. I do think there could be a big summer from Spencer Turnbull. Really liked a lot of what we saw in those 50 innings of 2021. He was unfortunately cut down by the TJ, but I'm excited to have him back after pick 400. I think there's real upside here, especially if you're in it for the long haul. If you're taking, don't take him in the shallow leagues right now, because like you said, you know, once that, once that guy goes bust in the, in an April start, you're cutting him. But in the leagues where you're going to hold them all year like a draft champions, I think you're going to see some summer goodness from Spencer Turnbull. Give him some time to kind of get his feet wet again. Let April go through maybe even into early May. But I think once he kind of gets himself settled again, I think there can be some goodness. I think he's going to end up being a waiver pickup of note this year in the shower formats and a nice deep league play that you hang on to like draft champions and Spencer Turnbull should pay some nice dividends. I'm not sure who it was. It might be Eno Saris who talks about like the Tommy John surgery kind of grace period afterwards. For, forgive me if it's not Eno. It might be somebody else. But you get like, you know, 300 or so innings where yep. you're you're really really solid after TJ. And you know, we might have a season, a season and a half of of Turnbull where you know we don't really have to worry about any you know relapse or anything like that. He might just be fantastic this season. He has thrown a no hitter in the past, which you know read into that which you will probably doesn't mean that much but he's got good stuff um, whether or not it translates to fantasy this year is another question on the tigers you know the k rates aren't crazy there's not a lot of win upside but i think where he's going in drafts you said it perfectly if he's you know in your draft champions you have him on your team the entire year there's a good chance that he's able to give you 25 good starts and he might end up being the best pitcher in this in this rotation. It wouldn't shock me if he was the number one in terms of, you know, Raswell player rate or whatever fantasy value you use. It wouldn't shock me if he was the most valuable Detroit starting pitcher this season at all, totally despite, despite the fact that he is slotted in as the number five guy right now. Mm-hmm. That is it for the rotation. Is there anybody you think, I mean, there's Tariq Skubal as well. Skubal is, is it, yeah. You, you just don't know when he's coming back. I'm not even drafting him in draft champions right now, though. You're talking about a waiver pickup when he does come back, if he comes back. I mean, because he could still have his flexor tendon surgery. Not necessarily certainty that he comes back. There could be issues there. He's off the board right now. Still love him overall. So bummed. And this is this is why it sucks when a team's rebuild is hinged on starters because all that, that well, what do they do? They break. But it's what the drafts gave them. So Mize, TJ right now, Scooble, Flexor Tendon, Manning. Some solid results, but not particularly overwhelming right now. Turnbull just getting back from TJ, and that's been the core of their of their rebuild here. Torkelson obviously failed in his year, but um, 
that's that's kind of the major issue. And so with Scooble, keep my keep him front of mind uh, or in the back of your mind for when he comes back. And then he's a waiver pickup. But until then, I'm not even drafting. Maybe AL only where you have unlimited ILs. Uh, you get you get the jump early, but that's a very specific uh, league type there for Scooble. And in terms of Casey Mize, I think his surgery actually happened before Scooble. If I yeah, I think it was it was it was in earlier. June, but with TJ which is not what Scooble had. Um, you're getting the full year minimum and then the rehab, I think what September maybe for Mize, he's completely out of my mind for this year as far as a fantasy piece. I don't know why in my head I thought that Scooble did have Tommy John. Well, but... flexor tendon surgery, I mean, yeah, a lot of times well... flexor tendon issues are a precursor to that. Uh, but right now it, it is different. Um, the, the the timeline is is six to nine months as opposed to the 12 to 16. And so, he should be back in time to do something this season, but it might not. It might not be until like June. So again, I would not draft Scooble except maybe a deeper league where you have unlimited ILs. Yeah, or let's say you do your your regular draft, your twelve team or whatever, and you can add players in after the fact. Your IL, he's not a bad option. Might maybe not right away at the beginning of the season, but throughout the year at some point, throw him in your IL spot. Uh, you know, depending on how competitive your league is with that kind of thing, I know my home league is very antsy to grab players who are injured to throw them in the IL because there is some appeal there of not taking up a roster spot. You know, there's the allure of more potentially later on down the season. So uh, I think that would be where I'm at right now on him. I like what he did last season. He was very good, um, but he's probably not going to be somebody who has much of an impact for the first half of the season anyway. And his price, I mean, at 463, he's going in the similar range to Spencer Turnbull. I'd be taking Turnbull every time. 100 out of 100 times, Dad. I I don't really understand why Scoobles going that high right now with built-in missed time. Like there's almost no chance. I don't even say, I'm not even going to couch it with an almost. There's no chance that he's making it back for opening day. Everything says that he's not. So unless he just miracle heals and gets back on track, I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I am, I'm totally there with you. The last part of this team to go over is the bullpen, and there's no more Gregory Soto. It looks like Alex Lang is going to get the closer role. People are drafting him as though he is. He's pushing mm-hmm. top 280 P right now. Do you think that he is the closer undisputedly, or is there some room here for maybe somebody else to take the job? Or if he did get hurt, let's say, uh, let, let, let's say you think Lang is the closer if he does get hurt, who would be next in line to replace him? On the team right now, uh, man, I really don't know. Like Will Vest showed some things at times last year, 23% K rate, 8% walk rate wasn't too bad, uh, but he had some blow-ups that kind of blew up his ratios. You know who it could be as a non-roster invite, Matt Whistler. He's shown some things. Now his strikeout rate fell apart last year. After two big years at 33 and 32% respectively, he was down to 20% last year. Um, I imagine there was an injury at play there because his, his velo also came down. Although his velo has never been all that great to begin with at 92, but it was down at 90. So two miles an hour loss on velo, big strikeout rate dip. Um, I, I guess I could look it up right now since we, I do have a page open where I can do that. But yeah, he must have gotten hurt. Matt Whistler's a non-roster invite. I could see him being the guy that maybe kind of gets in the mix there. But other than that, if it's not Lang, if you draft Lang, don't worry about a handcuff. If he if he busts or, or loses the job, you're looking elsewhere anyway. But Lang did a lot of good things. He does have some command issues, which you see from these flamethrowers out of the bullpen consistently. Hey, it's just right-handed uh, Soto at that point, right? I do think he has more command than Soto, which is a key distinction, right? Command and control are different. His control is wonky, Lang's, Lang's is, but his command is better, which so he doesn't give up a lot of the blow-up homers the way that Soto would. 
30% K rate though, 19% swinging strike rate. That's insane and says he could even strike out more than that. There's a lot to like with Lang. Um, and the saves, they won't necessarily be super plentiful. You still want guys on good teams first and foremost when it comes to saves. But hey, in the past years, Soto's put up 30 and 18 in the past two years with his saves. Um, he got 30 last year on a terrible team. Not saying Lang will, but if he can get mid-20s, you're certainly loving that out of Alex Lang, given where he's going. It doesn't happen all the time, and you know there's random outliers. But I look at Daniel Bard last year on a 68-win team, had 33, 34 saves. I'm just pulling it up now. I think it was 34 yeah. saves. He saved half of their wins, even though it was only 68 of them. So you do see crazy things like that happen. And when you're looking at Lang, you've got the 30% K rate to build off of. You know He changes picks, pitch mix a little bit this season. Um, as opposed to 2020, but I, I, I'm in. I mean, the price, if he is a regular everyday closer after pick 200, there's really not that many of them going at that point. If you miss out on some of the earlier names, and even if you hit on some of the earlier names, I'd be taking Alex Lang. I think there's no problem at all with the draft price, assuming he doesn't move up too much, and I don't really think he will so much. Maybe, you know, end of the top 200, and you know, in the 190 range he'll push up to, perhaps. Um, but as of right now at 220, I, I'm really liking it. I think that, like you said, he is the undisputed closer most likely as of right now. There's nobody else who you can, you can really even look at in that bullpen and say there's you know a clear number two option, a clear eighth inning guy. Even uh, no. it is a little bit it is a little bit muddy there. So I think Lang would be the guy. Uh, is there anything else Tigers related that we might have missed on a certain player or a certain you know? I mean, to be looking at. Keep an eye on Joey Wentz. He's a lefty uh, pitching prospect who's pretty solid. He's on the excuse me, he's on the 40. He made, he made the team last year. He had some good outings. He could certainly be in the mix. Uh, same with Reese Olsen, a right-handed pitching prospect, peaked at double-A last year, but had a really nice season uh, in 120 innings there at double-A. So he'll be in triple-A just to call away at age 23. A couple of decent guys there. And maybe one of them could end up in, in the bullpen mix too if if everything's going well with the rotation and then something happens with the length. Olsen specifically, I could see because I think he's got a little bit more uh, of the wonky command. But uh, and and Wentz being the lefty, I know we've seen less of the the bias against lefty closers. That's usually because if they're the only lefty in the pen, they won't have them for when there's a key lefty coming to bat. But they do have not Chase and Shreve as a non-roster invite and Tyler Alexander. So if they have a couple other lefties, they could go to Wentz in the closers role if Lang busts. But I actually like both of them more as starters, Reese Olsen and Joey Wentz. Wentz was not bad at all in his seven starts last year, 303 mm-hmm. ERA. He doesn't strike out a hell of a lot of batters, uh, you know, 20%-ish, but it was higher at certain points in the minor leagues. He could probably bounce back up to 25-ish percent, maybe even a little bit higher. Uh, I do like Wentz, even though he is not on the roster right now. I don't even know if he's being drafted. He might be like a last-round kind of pick. Actually, he's going in 620, a little bit higher than I would have expected, considering he doesn't have a role right now, but... Still, after pick 600, you're, you're throwing darts at that point. Absolutely. And he, he could be somebody who does end up making 15 somewhat starts. I mean, the projection systems all have him going for at least 15 starts. The Zips thinks he'll make 20. So there is definitely room there for some value considering the draft price. Uh, but, Paul, I think we've covered it in, in pretty good amount of depth here. We've gone over every single member of the lineup, the rotation, and we've gone through the bullpen. I shouldn't be calling you Paul because from what I remember – when people call you Paul, you think you're in trouble. I think that's, no, no, that's Nick specifically. He calls <laughs> me Sporer, and if he says Paul, then I've angered him. <laughs> well, Paul, Spore, whatever it is that people call you, and I'm sure there's some other names in there as well, but we, we are very glad to have had you back on the show. Uh, it's always a great time. It was great meeting you in Arizona and sitting, awesome. with you the, sitting with you at the bar there. It was my first time going to Arizona, and I've, I talk about First Pitch Arizona probably once a week on the show. 
it was so awesome to be there with you and everybody else kind of just meeting everybody in the industry for the first time it was it was a fantastic uh experience i'm gonna be there again this year i'm assuming you will Can't be wait. again too absolutely absolutely and yeah you got to come out i'm glad you had a good time it was wonderful seeing you and uh arizona fall league in in november is a wonderful time seeing that live podcast you guys did was one of the one of the best hours i've spent in several years anyway you guys were incredibly entertaining uh if you guys haven't listened to that one you kind of don't get the same experience as you would have got live but go down the sleeper in the bus feed go check out early week first week or two of november uh it's definitely worth listening to it was hilarious experience uh to be sitting in the front row live for it but uh spore anything uh you want you i know you mentioned off the top here but anything else you want to plug before we uh, let you go no, just come out, check out my Twitch, twitch.tv slash sport. Whether you, I totally understand what you're saying about I'm going to watch somebody play video games. I felt the same way when I, when I first kind of discovered what Twitch was. And then you realize, you know, it's about hanging out. Think about it back in the day, you know, sitting around the Sega with your friends, maybe two people are on the sticks and everyone else is sitting around hanging out. That's basically what it is. And a lot of people who are watching me play are playing their consoles at, at the same time. So it's almost that same sort of vibe. If you like baseball, whether you're a video game fan or not, we're usually doing cool stuff out there. And so twitch.tv slash sport, I stream several nights a week. And, and just come check it out. Give it a chance before you dismiss it. Now, you shouldn't be dismissing it. Paul is one of the most knowledgeable people in the industry. And him just sitting there answering questions, shooting the shit while he's playing the show or out-of-the-park baseball it's always a lot of fun. If you got nothing else to do, Thank even you. if you have other things to do, uh, go check out Spore there on Twitch and check him out on Twitter. He links out everything over there at Spore, S-P-O-R-E-R. You guys can find me on Twitter at Joe Orico 99 but it's more important to go check out the company page, Ethos Fantasy BB. Our draft guide is live. I've got rankings that are up. As of today, we have shortstop and catcher rankings. We're going to keep putting them out over the next week or so, and there'll be a ton of articles in season as well for you guys to be checking out. But until tomorrow, we will get back to rankings on the pod. We'll talk relief pitcher. But until then, take care, everybody. Have a great night, and we will see you tomorrow.